Welcome to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business. I'm your host, Donald Miller. I'm joined by my co-host, J.J. Peterson. Hi, J.J. Hi, Don. J.J., it is 2019. Happy New Year! That's one year bigger than last year. It is. <laughs> <laughs> you know how to inspire. <laughs> Kick things off with inspiration. We are in the future. I know! That's what just happened. I know. We went there. We never thought it would we happen. didn't think it would happen. <laughs> we uh, are going to start the year with seven consecutive episodes, mm-hmm. each going through one element of the story brand framework. Yes. And we get great reports on what the framework is doing for people. If you're wondering, yeah. what is the story brand framework? It's a framework that helps you clarify your message mm-hmm. so that you can create better marketing collateral. Each piece of the framework, and there are seven parts to them, have major paradigm shifts that help you think about business and do business differently. Yeah. So the first seven episodes of this year, we're going to go through the framework. We have a guest that's going to talk to us about some element of each part of the framework, Mm -hmm. but we're going to practically give you something you can do to grow your business at the end of each episode. So we're going to say, based on what we just talked about on this episode, you need to do this. And if you do these one things and collect all seven, (laughs) you will completely revolutionize your business. So we're going to get started with a bang. And the whole point is, Next year at this time, you have significantly increased in revenue, yep. significantly decreased in stress, yep. and have many more resources to play with so you can grow in 2020. Yep. Our personal goal at StoryBrand is we want to be a $20 million company in 2020, uh-huh. <laughs> and we're heading in that direction. Yeah. Maybe you want to join us. Yeah. Maybe you're a $5 million company now, and you're saying, I want to be a $20 million. Yeah. Well, you're going to have to do these seven things. But first, I want to ask you, because yep. you are about to defend your dissertation to become a doctor. Yes. And a Dr. Peterson. Yes. yes. And your doctorate will be in what? Communication. In communication. Yeah. And your the dissertation is about the story brand framework. Yeah. And basically, you're defending the idea that it works. Yes. Is that right? Well, not defending. I found out if it does. So it's when you go in for research, you're not going in with a presupposed idea. You might have a hypothesis that says... Based on the research, if people apply this framework, we can argue that most likely they're going to see increases in revenue and decrease in stress of creating marketing collateral. And then that's your literal dissertation. That's what it's about. And then my job is to go in and basically look at all the history of advertising and marketing and story and see what research has been done before. And what of it applies to the story brand framework? Does the story brand framework support or argue against some of those theories? And then do a survey. It's a data survey that goes out to everybody of all of our customers and just ask the question. Without any leading, we are trying to find out, does it actually make a difference? Well, we know anecdotally it does, yep. but you're going to prove scientifically it does. Is yep. that fair? Yeah. I mean, as long as the research comes back that way, then 100%. But everything Jeez, points I'm to the idea. I'm on pins and needles. <laughs> yes, I'm sure you are. <laughs> can I write it for you? you? You can take one of the surveys. You're a customer. You've been through it. <laughs> you I think that it. might taint the yeah. results. <laughs> but it really just objectively, because there hasn't been kind of an in-depth study on this before. I just love that we are four years in, and it already kind of has the, the allure of Six Sigma. Yeah. I just love that. Yeah, I, I, this is such and a what, what's really fun is the research really shows that there is a lot of research on story impacting businesses in the way that like basically there are studies that show if you tell a good story internally, your company will be more aligned. You'll retain more people. People will understand how leadership opportunities work within the company. There's other research that shows when you use good story externally, it will impact your customers as well. And there's little things that they can show you of if you do this wrong, this is when it doesn't work as well. But nobody really actually says, here's how to formulaically tell a good story through marketing. And that is what StoryBrand is adding to the academic universe. And I should say this, because a lot of people are slightly familiar with StoryBrand, and they come to us and they say, we really need help telling our story. And that tells me they're actually not familiar with StoryBrand. We don't help you tell your story. We help you invite a customer into into a story. story. And Mm -hmm. that's where I want to get for a second. Even before we get to the first point of story, I want to ask you, because you've done a ton of research on this, there's a difference because if you tell your story, you're actually playing the hero in the story. Yes. If you invite customers into a story, they get to play the hero in the story and they much more want to play the hero than they want to hear about your story. Yeah. It's one of the differentiators between our framework and other storytelling narratives and, yeah. and all that kind of stuff. But I want to ask you as a doctor or a soon-to-be doctor, yeah. <laughs> um, I want to ask you what does story do to the brain? Because I studied, you know, Robert McKee and Christopher Booker and Blake Snyder and all that kind of stuff. What is story actually doing to our customers' brains when we invite them into a story? 
Well, there's a theory called narrative transportation. And narrative transportation argues that people who become absorbed into narratives actually change their attitudes to reflect the story that's being told. So when you, as a outside audience can engage with a story better. You actually transport into that story and see yourself as part of that story. And there's two authors in particular, Wang and Calder, who basically did research that shows that in media and advertising in particular, when people experience narrative transportation, it leads the audience into a world that is designed by the storyteller to ultimately impact attitudes and action. Hmm. Narrative transportation, they found ultimately increases the value of marketing communication, basically helps you understand how to tell a story a little bit better by focusing the story on the character, the more you can make the lead character like the audience you're trying to speak to, the more likely they are to experience narrative transportation. So we talk about empathy in our framework, yep. and that's mm-hmm. basically saying we're like you. Yeah. Our brand and, is like you, the customer. We're yep. like you. Yep. And research shows that when an audience is actually like transported, that narrative transportation, transported into the narrative world, they are more likely to change their real world beliefs. I 100% believe that. And yep. this is where... In the past couple of years, this is something interesting. You know, there's been a lot of political sort of upheaval and all that kind of stuff, and a lot of socioeconomic prejudices, a lot of racial prejudices, a lot of those tensions have risen in our country. And I've had people who I think are on the right side of that issue, who are frustrated about mm-hmm. it, who say, well, it really just brought about what was already in us. Mm-hmm. And I always push back. And I say, no, it didn't. Yeah. It actually created it. Yeah. It exasperated it. It invited people into a narrative in which they could play a villainous role and they were attracted to that role. Yeah. But you could have invited them into a much more positive narrative and they would have taken that role. So I don't want to just say, well, it's in us. Yeah. No, I want to actually say, no, that storyteller yes. started telling this story and invited people into it and brought it about in them. In other words, story really does set the moral compass. Yeah. It defines what role you play in life. And if you want to change your life, change your story. It sets up a character as a role model for us. That's, That's right. even what kind of... That, and you vicariously sort of live through them and then you yep. begin to act like them. Yep. First you believe your values become aligned with the values of the character you're seeing if you see that character as like you and then those values influence your actions. It is ridiculously powerful. Yeah. Some people who are attracted to what we do for other reasons than marketing are narrative therapists, mm-hmm. people who come to us and say, you know, this is the power of narrative. And I've experienced it actually in my own life. You know, when yeah. we're in our teens and 20s, sometimes you have this like, you're breaking away from your family mm-hmm. and you're becoming independent. And there is a temptation, and I don't even think it's an unhealthy temptation, to sort of look for the negative in your family. Yeah. And it's part of differentiation. Yep. It's part of the rocket leaving the booster rocket, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. you've got to kind of do it. Yeah. And there's a bunch of flames yeah. and, some, and hopefully it goes Otherwise well. you're just sad that you separated from your family. <laughs> That's right. And so some of us, if you have kids who are doing this, just know it's a little bit natural. Yeah, yeah. Don't let it get out of hand. But I remember that phase in my life where I look back and went, gosh, we were so poor and my dad left and blah, blah, blah. And I actually had to sit down and rewrite my own story, not mm-hmm. in fiction, but to say, wait a second, I had this incredibly strong mom who yeah. went and got her bachelor's and her master's after she turned 50 going to yeah. night school. Dad split when I was a kid, but that introduced me to this youth group and this youth pastor who changed my life and taught me how to write. I yeah. literally just went, oh my gosh, there were many stories here that I was living. One of them was a little bit difficult, yeah. and one of them was actually quite advantageous to me, yeah. coming from this strong DNA of a family. And of course, mom comes home, she's tired, she doesn't have the energy to mm-hmm. you know, kind of parent the way some parents might. You can look at it negative or positive, but it, there's incredible power to actually kind of rewrite your own story yeah. and shine the spotlight on different things. Yeah. And now, I mean, I remember I was just in the kitchen the other day because we had some friends over and we were talking about this sort of thing. I couldn't think of anything negative that happened in my childhood. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was just like, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it, well, I, all I remember was fairy tale land, you know? Yeah. And that may be problem in its, but I'm not yeah. like harboring resentment yeah. or things down. You rewrite your own story. Yeah. And here's the point that I'm getting to. As corporations, uh-huh. as businesses, I believe, and feel free to send me hate mail. I will push back on this all day long. I believe that corporations spending marketing dollars are the dominant influence in America on what cultural narrative we buy into. Mm -hmm. Bigger than the church, Mm -hmm. bigger than politicians, Mm -hmm. bigger than all of it. 
because you cannot compete with the trillions of dollars that are going into your ears and eyes every yeah. day through radio advertising, social media advertising, television advertising, yep. all of it. It's writing a narrative. And so I think the people listening to this, one, need to understand it. Yeah. And you need to do it to grow your business, and you need to do it responsibly. Yeah. Invite people into a narrative where they become wonderful human beings yep. using your product to solve their problems, and you'll make the world a better place. Yeah. And that's really what the first element of the story brand framework is all about, is identifying who is the hero of the story, and it's your customer. Yep. And what is it that they're not only looking for from your brand to help them on their journey, but ultimately, who are they trying to become? Yep. And this is where we transition in this podcast from why narrative works, why story works, why we should do it, to how to do it. Yeah. And the first step, as you say, is you have to define a character. And the character is not you. Yep. The character is your customer. Yeah. And in order to get a story started, in order for people to say, that's interesting and keep listening. You know, the brain spends 30% of its time daydreaming, mm -hmm. unless it's listening to a story. Yeah. And it stops daydreaming. It does the daydreaming for you. It does. It sort of hijacks your brain in yeah. a way. And if you want to invite customers into a story in which they are compelled to live differently mm -hmm. and use your product to solve their problem, the very first thing you have to do is define something that they want. Yeah. Because a story starts when a hero wants something. The guy wants the girl, the girl wants the promotion, the team wants to win the national championship, yep. Jason Bourne wants to know who he really is, Luke yeah. wants to destroy the Death Star, Katniss wants to survive the Hunger Games, Billy Bean wants to win the baseball game. I mean, on and on. Yeah, yeah. It's defined. And the yeah. key here is to define it in a way that everybody understands exactly what it is. Mm -hmm. Don't be vague yeah. and don't define too many things. I went around the country asking people, what did Jeb Bush want to do for America? Nobody knew. Yeah. What does Donald Trump want to do for him? He wants to make America great again. That is a narrative with a clear ambition. Yep. And that is going to captivate attention. Hillary Clinton should have won that race. She defined 120 things yep. that the American public wanted. You, if Jason Bourne wanted 120 things, you'd have people walking out of the movie. Yep. It's too complicated. Define that one thing. And that's where I want to get into a tool that we did not create. It's actually Bain and company created this tool. And it's called the Elements of Value pyramid. It doesn't belong to us. It belongs to them. You can Google it and you can research it and you can find out about it. But they have a pyramid of the 30 things people actually want. So when you're actually saying, okay, apparently they did 30 years of research mm -hmm. and they came up with a pyramid, not unlike Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And it basically says, these are the 30 things human beings want to buy. Yeah. And their argument is you need to figure out what of these 30 things you sell. Yeah. And, you know, you say, well, Don, I sell plungers. I sell plumbing equipment. Well, you sell ease of use. You sell simplify your life. You sell organize your time. There's these 30 things. And I want to get into a few of them. But again, it's not ours. It belongs to them. And you need to go research it to find out. And we've talked about this before. We but talked the about it on a whole we, episode of the podcast years ago. Yeah. And they say the more that you use, the better. The more that yeah, you talk about. Yeah, the more of the 30 elements you can apply to your yep. brand, the better. Apple uses 11. 11, and they say yeah. that's the top. Yeah. And Harvard Business Review wrote a whole article about yeah. it. They talk about the different companies that use this. And it's a wonderful article. Harvard Business Review, Elements of Value Pyramid. We did an episode in the past yep. on this, but we're focusing on it again because you've got to define something that your customer wants. Yep. And for StoryBrand, it's clarity of message, right? And if you think, I really need to clarify my message, probably in under four years, if you talk to the average business person and say, I really need to clarify your message, somebody in the room is going to say, you should see, go see StoryBrand. Yeah. But if we would have said, well, we really help people understand the connection between narrative frameworks and marketing and growing your business. Yeah. Nobody in the room would say, yep. go to StoryBrand well, to clarify. nobody would be in the room. <laughs> yeah, no, we would be <laughs> because it's too elusive, it's too vague, yeah. and that's the power of actually defining something very, very clear. Just to get through a few of them, what people want, according to Bain and Company, reduce effort, avoid hassle, reduce cost. They want sensory appeal. They want to organize their thinking. They want to reduce risk. They want to simplify their life. They want to save time. Oh, nostalgia, JJ. Yes. You know, it's really interesting. If you watch commercials, you see a ton of people sell nostalgia. Yep. In some ways, Trump and the campaign sold mm -hmm. nostalgia. Reagan did the same thing. Yep. And so if you can associate some of the stuff that you sell, the products that you sell, with these 30 things that they say people want, it's really a fantastic cheat sheet. Yeah. Terrific research by Bain. Oh, yeah. To me, it's just one of the easiest things that you can do on paper. Yeah. But it actually, you do have to sit down and say... Take some time. Yes. Okay, so for instance, you know, we work a lot with Dave Ramsey over at Ramsey mm -hmm. Solutions. Mm -hmm. And you know, they have several personalities that they promote. They have several, a couple radio shows. They yeah. have a bunch of podcasts. They have, you know, 
if you think about it, you're a woman starting a business, you have business boutique. Mm-hmm. If you're retiring, they can sell your retirement plan. If you're an entrepreneur, they have entree leadership. They have Financial Peace, peace. University. Mm-hmm. But really, all of that fits under the umbrella of financial peace. Yep. And so Dave says, if you want financial peace, come to us. And so that's the plot. Yeah. The plot is financial peace. The subplot is financial peace for small businesses, financial peace for families, yeah. financial peace for women starting businesses, financial yeah. peace for pastors, financial peace for... Those are subplots. What's the plot? And the plot is this overall thing that your customers want. And you've got to figure that out in your business and yeah. start repeating it and telling people that, or they're not going to be interested in this story. Yep. And so that's the first part of the story brand framework. The second part, I think, is even more important, and it's a problem. We're going to talk about that next week. Yeah. But today, I want to go deeper into this idea of defining what your customer wants. And so we spoke with our old friend, Aaron James. Aaron James makes a lot of really beautiful commercials for Nike, Adidas, uh-huh. uh, yeah. Bud Light, you know, all these kind of things. He's done a lot of work with Wyden and Kennedy, who, who win awards every couple of years. On, yeah. He's a fascinating guy. We talk about his work in this interview with the LA Dodgers, with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, with the Miami Dolphins. But as we have this conversation, you can sort of hear how a creative mind tries to figure out what aspect of a product to actually sell. Yeah. Because we all have to do that, right? If you sell a widget, you're holding that widget in your hand, you're going, okay, how do I sell this? Yep. And there are good and better ways to sell that yeah. product. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to say bad, although yeah. they're probably bad ways. Yeah. They're just better ways to do it. Yeah. And hopefully this first episode of 2019 will give you a tip on defining what your customer wants in order to invite them into the story. And listen to all seven episodes because they fit together as one piece. Yeah. After this interview with Aaron James, at the end of this episode, I'm going to tell you the one thing that you can do based on this paradigm shift that you got to define what your customer wants. Here's the one thing that you can do to grow your business based on what we talked about. So listen to the interview and pay attention to the end. I'm going to give you the one thing. But here is, to go deeper on this idea of defining what our customer wants, here's my conversation with Aaron James. Aaron, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Don. You and I have something in common. I have a riding shed in my backyard. That's what I call it, the riding shed. And it really is, a, I think it's a 10 by 12 room with an air conditioner in it and a heater. You converted yours from a pigeon. What was it, a pigeon coop? Yeah, I think you got an extra foot on me. I think mine is... Uh, <laughs> I got the luxury edition. <laughs> 10 by 11, possibly, maybe 8 by 12. But yeah, when we bought the house, it was just like we were about to tear it down. And we just said, hey, let's just hold off on that. And about a year later, we took it down to the studs. And now it's just like a little work spot. It works nice. And it works for you? You get a lot done in there? Yeah. I float between like being on site with some of the people I work with yeah. to being off site. So it works really well for that. Well, we talked earlier, JJ and I talked about what you do and all that you've accomplished. And uh, you know, we're going through this eight-part series or seven-part series, really, the first part of 2019. We want to cover each bit of the story brand framework that you're familiar with. And we wanted to open with you because you have to do something all the time for major brands. You have to decide what aspect of a product that you're going to sell. So first, I want to know how the process actually works. A beer company comes to you or an agency that's hiring you, and they say, we want to sell more beer, right? And then where do they go from there? Where does the agency go from there? What does your brain start doing? Myself, as a creative director type, a lot of times that strategic thinking has been done up front. And there are actually strategists at the agency that are working kind of in concert with the clients, say the beer company or the shoe company company or or whatever. Yeah. And the strategists, are they asking questions like, what demographic buys your beer? or Where do you guys, what markets do you want to move into? They're getting granular about it? They definitely go through all the consumer research. They definitely take into account, are there changes with the product? Are there new things that need to be, you know, kind of a new story to be told around that product? But, you know, the strategist actually does a lot of creative work, too. And a lot of people maybe don't understand that. But what they do is they're kind of also looking at the marketplace and saying, well, where is the opportunity, you know, for this product? You know, when you're selling a a beer or a Diet Coke or a shoe, you know, almost never do these ads actually focus on any feature of this shoe or beer or Diet Coke, right? Right, right. What are they actually selling? How do you decide, okay, this is what we want to actually sell when we position this product? 
I think what you're really trying to do is tap into a mindset of the consumer or a truth. So there's an agency out of Seattle who had a saying, say, find the truth and make it big. By truth, you mean, what do you mean? You mean like the transformation that the customer can experience or the problem that this thing solves that's frustrating them? What is the truth? I think it's that. It's kind of the practical side. And then there's also the impractical side that people like when they buy a product. A lot of products, honestly, they aren't needed, you know, but there's (laughs) something that they want to, whether it's an iPhone or what, you know, whatever this thing is, a good ad will also kind of connect to the mindset of somebody who, you know, and really just creating desire. Yeah. And how do you create desire? One of the things that we talk about at StoryBrand is figuring out the aspirational identity of your customer. And, you know, even Bain and company with their elements of value pyramid, the very top of that pyramid is self-actualization and then self-transcendence, right? And so what they're basically saying is you can sell a Diet Coke, but you're going to do a lot better if you sell a Diet Coke and you also sell the aspirational identity of an independent spirit that nobody gets to kick around, right? Right. And I'm just making that up. I'm actually thinking of the Diet Coke ads Oh, with that actress from, uh, she was in Community. You know who I'm talking about, the blonde? Right. Mm-hmm. And she's saying, I drink Diet Coke because it tastes good. I don't feel bad about it. I'm not apologizing for it. And it's very clear it's this like pushback on we shouldn't be drinking soda. And she's pushing back with this identity of nobody tells me what to do. I do what I want, right? And so she's really kind of selling an identity there more than she's selling the Diet Coke. Is that something that you would put in the category of find the truth? Yeah, ads can kind of message against all sorts of things, whether it's a a cultural moment where, you know, water is becoming more popular than soda right now. So what's Diet Coke's message? Well, this is a pleasure that you don't need to feel guilty about having a Diet Coke, right? So that might be it. But I think, you know, some of Coke's even more interesting work, I would say, is the idea of personalization on the cans. Oh man, talk to me about that because I found that really fascinating. Most marketing ideas, when you're talking about big brand level like that, typically don't stick. And so you're trying something, they're kind of like looking at the overall response or success of that particular thing. And, you know, they move on fast, (laughs) you know, onto the next thing. But I think the idea of personalization was a really fabulous idea and, you know, it even kind of works if the can doesn't have your name on it or right. the person you're with. You know, it's just kind of like, hey, this is a something for a human being. And plus, you know, you've got that group of kind of collectors out there who are trying to find their name and their spouse's name and their kids' names. And, yeah. and it also is a way of Coca-Cola saying, we know that individuals exist. Like, we know that a human being buys this product, not the masses or the market. Who came up with that idea? I'm not sure on that one. I mean, a brand as big as Coke probably has numerous agencies working on it at once, and I'm not familiar with that. I actually don't follow the advertising quite as closely as I used to, but yeah, I think that you're right. When It's almost like when we personalize an email, you know, is automated through our systems that we use. It's a similar idea of just saying, hey, this is for you. If it's not you, it's for a real person. It's, you know, when your company is as big as Coca-Cola, that is actually a big win for you. Yeah. Well, I mean, that empathy is huge. Another campaign I want to ask you about. I actually sat next to Colin Kaepernick on an airplane recently flying to Boston. And he was pretty shrouded in a hoodie and headphones, and it's clear he's not going to talk to anybody. I talked to the people who were around him, his handlers, and asked him a bunch of questions. And I actually asked him to come on the show, so hopefully he'll be able to come on the show soon. But both Nike and Donald Trump seem to be using Colin Kaepernick in the exact same way. And by that, I mean, you know, you've got Nike that sells to kids who probably have some tension with their dads and the establishment and all that kind of stuff. And then Trump, who really is, that's not his core group of voters. And here's this guy caught in the middle Nike says, we like this revolutionary tone and this pushback against the man. I think their sales, after they chose Colin Kaepernick as their spokesperson for a minute, I think their sales increased by 30%. And you're talking about hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. So great move for them. Trump looks out at the landscape. He sees, at the time he tweeted about it and started making an issue of kneeling 
during the national anthem in the NFL, there were nine players kneeling. In the entire NFL, there were nine players. This was basically not an issue. He tweets about it. The next week, there are 90 players <laughs> kneeling, right? He created an issue centered around you know, this one player, Colin Kaepernick. I'm curious, as a creative mind, can you just sort of explain, do a little riff on what Nike was thinking, what the Trump campaign was thinking, and what the human population, the masses here in America, how we were manipulated by both companies to either buy product or vote for somebody? Because you guys are the guys dreaming up these things, right? Well, I'm not sure exactly which creatives. I know a few of them because uh, the ad was created in Wyden Kennedy, and that's a place that I used to work. And right. and I will say that is a very special place. They win... Um, global agency of the year it seems like at least every other year and part of that is because of the work they've done on nike and when you say revolutionary tone to me that is actually what nike's going for you know i mean they're, they're yeah they tap into that youthful rebellion right right which a lot of people you know trump came out and said hey don't buy anything from nike which you know really is exactly what Nike wanted him to do. Right. Because 50-year-old chubby white guys are not walking around in Nike shoes. Or they're burning them the day after or, or whatever. I mean, I think the idea is, you know, at a place like White and Kennedy, the creatives are being asked to fail, honestly, to try so hard to flip things and flip the script and take over a story that becomes cultural. They literally have something on the wall that says, fail harder. And that is a mantra that's been there for quite a while. And I think what's really interesting is like, in order for an ad like that to be made, a lot of people have to have the courage to create it, approve it, think of it. And when I say courage, that's actually one of my pet peeves in advertising as if we're doing something like truly courageous. We're selling stuff, so it's right. not that courageous. Well, but sort of, Aaron. I mean, you're, I would say corporate dollars spent in advertising affect the moral compass of our culture more than almost anything else. And I'm going to tick some people off, but I'm going to say more than education, more than church, more than any of that. You know, you can see it even in the evangelical community. They're not following the ancient moral compass. They're following culture. They're justifying culture with ancient texts in many, many respects. I agree with you. I think the power of messaging and there needs to be a lot of responsibility with it because you're yeah. right. I mean, as quickly as as messages can get out there, you're right when you kind of say, hey, are these other areas of culture creating culture or responding to it? For the most part, uh, you're right. You kind of list out all these other things. They're more of a response and a temperature check. And I think you know, as marketers, there is a lot of responsibility as a small business owner or business owner with your messaging, because you're right, it sets the tone. I want to talk about a campaign that you actually worked on. I can't remember the NFL team. Was it Miami Dolphins or Tampa Bay? I've actually worked on both, but it probably would have been the Buccaneers, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Okay. So they come to you and they say, we want more butts and seats. We want people to come to the games. Is that what, is that what they wanted from you? Yes. Okay. So what happens in your brain from that point on? I mean, how do you say, okay, we're going to get more people in seats? There's a lot of steps, but I think one of the first things, yes, that's their goal. But really what they're saying as a pro sports franchise is they need their brand to be relevant. I have kind of an interesting thing. I've worked on um, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the Miami Dolphins. I worked for a season on the Los Angeles Dodgers. And and you're an Angels fan, aren't you, if I remember correctly? A's fan. An yeah, A's I, fan. <laughs> I was a scoreboard operator for the A's you know, as I started out in Oakland. So, But sports franchises are, my way of, of describing it, it's like a local car dealership with a global brand. That's interesting. Yeah, that's an interesting way to see it. In some ways, their messaging really is only relevant in terms of getting people in seats. It's really very regional in terms of like how that messaging works. But then the Los Angeles Dodgers, for instance, I mean, that's one of the best known franchises in sports. You know, across the globe, that logo is recognized and there's history with sports and that kind of type of thing. So I think when you work with somebody like Tampa Bay Buccaneers, you know, you basically kind of look back when teams are winning, they never call an ad agency. Would you think that's a mistake? Yeah, I do. I mean, I think if you I can continue to bring 
innovative thinking and messaging to your consumer base while you're winning. Yeah, and not only that, but just in any business, and this is a tip for everybody listening, if you're doing well, if money's flowing in, pour gas on it. Because when a recession hits or the leads aren't coming in, it is so much harder to create something out of nothing than it is to make a you know something even bigger. I say if the sailboat is moving, hoist a bigger sail. Get as much wind as you can while you can. So these regional campaigns, what did you do? How did you decide and what angle did you decide to come at to get more people to come to games? Typically, it's like a line, you know, that people attach to. For Tampa Bay, I don't remember exactly, but typically an agency will go in with three or four lines, maybe two or three, maybe one or two. This is basically like, hey, this is the line that makes your brand connect with people and make more sense. So when you talk on StoryBrand about, I mean, it's essentially, it's the creative caveman test, right? Right, it's the like, grunt test, yeah. Can I grunt at this and does it make sense? But does it actually kind of like, Help me look at this a little differently. So what lines did you come up with for L.A. and Tampa Bay and Miami? I can talk about L.A. because I remember that one you know, <laughs> uh, pretty well. L.A. at that point was owned by Frank McCourt. So he was a very disliked owner. Okay. And there had been all this drama and there was a battle with the Angels because the Angels became the Los Angeles Angels. Uh, of you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so to cut through all of that mess, it's basically like, well, what is the best thing about the Dodgers? And at that point, they weren't winning. You know, there was a guy in charge that people weren't thrilled with. It was Vin Scully. And so we just took an existing part of that brand, which right before the game, Vin Scully says, it's time for Dodger baseball. Yeah. That was our line. We put that on. So you sold nostalgia. Yeah. And you look at a place like L.A. where everything's new and fresh and hip and young. And baseball does have a lot of nostalgia, has a lot of draw that way. So I think that line made sense. No one could argue with it. No one could say they didn't like it. He retired recently, yeah. a couple years ago. You were probably integral in letting people know and him becoming an actual foundation of the brand or an association with the brand. Yeah, and I think in his case, just being such a legend, it was a way for the Dodgers to take the negative conversations that were happening around them yeah. and make it into something very positive that everyone loved. I think that that was successful. And, you know, it happened for... I think they kept that line for a season or two. You know, they did Spanish version of it. And then eventually, you know, they got better. And maybe they brought in a couple of new stars and they were able to kind of change their messaging again. I'll be back with the rest of my interview with Aaron James in just a moment. If you're a fan of this podcast or if you've read my book, you're probably familiar with the framework. And I know once you get introduced to it, you just want to know more and more and more and more. We are really talking about the philosophy of story and a philosophy of marketing. But how do you actually execute it? How do you know that you are doing it the right way for your business? If you want that kind of clarity and confidence, get the StoryBrand online marketing course. You can get it at storybrand.com slash online, storybrand.com slash online. It's limited in its availability. So what you do is you just click get an invite. We let a certain cohort through at a time get an invite or request an invite and that'll guide you through a process that will allow you to get it but we want you to get an invite first go to storybrand.com slash online that's storybrand.com slash online you already know this stuff works we've told you a thousand times it works it works it works and you've heard stories of people that it's worked for it will work for you but you have to do it right if you want to know that you're doing it right go to storybrand.com slash online storybrand.com slash online request an invite today I'm curious, critique this campaign. There is a team here in Nashville, the Nashville Soccer Club. I think they're going to come up with another name. They're USL team. They go MLS next year. So actually, they have one more USL season, and then they're the new expansion team in the MLS. By the way, congrats on the Timbers going to the MLS Cup. <laughs> that was uh, They played very carefully, and, and they, <laughs> they suffered for that reason. But anyway. <laughs> I think it was the uh, outcome that was inevitable. Is, uh, Didn't you know, have to be. I would rather them lose seven to nothing than two to nothing and not try. Now I'm going to have everybody in Portland mad at me. They tried. But working with this NSC, the future MLS team, 
One of the things that we told them, and they really just went through a story brand workshop and clarified their message, but a campaign that I wanted them to run with that they didn't end up running with was in from the beginning. And right now they're playing in a soccer stadium. The soccer stadium has 9,000 seats. There's probably 2,000 people at 3,000 people at every game. And this idea of creating an identity of this group of super fans that was in before it was ever an MLS team and before the $250 million stadium was built. And you could actually only get the inaugural flag that says in from the beginning if you came to a game. Really what I told them, you're not selling soccer. This soccer's pretty bad. It's going to be good next year because they're buying some talent. But it's pretty bad soccer. Now I'm going to get people in Nashville mad at me. But what you could sell is this tribal identity of... I was here before it was ever popular. And they didn't run with it because it was a little late in the season and they already had a campaign. I hope they actually run with it next year because I think it's a great campaign. But sometimes when you're selling something, the thing that you're selling is really 5% of it. And you got to figure out what that other 95% draw can be. And you've already talked about nostalgia. You can talk about access, badge access, or elite access somehow. You talk about an aspirational identity. You can go to self-actualization. You can go to self-transcendence. You know, the Bud Light commercials, Dilly Dilly, which are so very silly, what they're actually selling is we're not these snotty-nosed, elitist, college-educated jerks who drink mead, right? We're simple we're a little backwoods, and we're very proud of it. They're selling a tribal identity in that campaign. And I guess I wanted to talk to you to just kind of figure out a little bit more of how that works and how even a small business, what process they need to go through in order to figure out what aspects of their product. Because if you're just selling your product, you're selling the tip of an iceberg, and you haven't discovered the iceberg yet, which is what people really want. You know, a small company that's uh, maybe selling financial advice as a financial advisor or real estate or orthodontics. I go to an orthodontist every once in a while, and he bought half a million dollars worth of expensive equipment and renovated a building fresh out of college, probably did it on a giant loan, the same year that Smile Direct came out. So you can now just call and order your Invisalign or whatever, and he's selling it, and he's scared to death. So my thing to him was sell personal access, sell personal touch, sell personal care, sell why would you trust your smile to a box in the mail, right? Trust it to a person. Let's do this together. There's always something that adds value to your product that you can focus on. How do you help a small business figure that out? Corinne, my wife last night bought ski boots and the process of sizing a ski boot, (laughs) uh, which is very important if you're buying a ski boot, is... It's an art form, really. And I think that this company, you know, I sure I could have gone and bought it on Amazon, a pair of ski boots, and it would have been probably cheaper or whatever. But like there is a real advantage to getting it done right by somebody that really knows how ski boots should fit. And I think if small businesses kind of look at it that way, it's like I like to talk about with small business an unfair advantage. Like what is your the advantage you have in the marketplace? But I think Yeah, can, that's a great way to put of it. What's your unfair advantage? I think you can flip it to to the consumer side. It's like, well, what is the thing that you can offer your consumer that these other things can't? It's kind of like what you're talking about. If it's not convenience, you know, well, what is it? I like to look at a consumer's mindset and say, well, what are they really looking for? what thing are they looking to change? And it may not be your product, but your product may be part of that journey of them changing that thing. Yeah. So for instance, you know, one of the businesses I work on is called the hitting vault and it is a baseball and softball hitting online membership. What we've realized with my partner, Matt, who's actually a, um, now hitting instructor for the Chicago white Sox. what incredible journey he's had. And for us now, we started that about three years ago, and now we're, we have such a better understanding of who our consumer is, who these parents are, you know, how the coaches use our product and that type of thing. But, you know, what we've realized, it's often like more of an emotional, you know, it's like, yeah, it's access to 100 hitting drills. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> right. But it's actually a little bit more of a mindset of believing that you're on the right path or you're teaching the right thing. Those kind of things are what what really get those people connected. You're selling coaches confidence. Yeah. You're selling them some confidence and some competence to deliver that confidence, but that's really the product that you're selling is confidence. Right. 
coaching competence. Know you're doing it right. Know you're not screwing these kids up. Know you're setting them up for success. And notice it's not even about hitting. Yeah, yeah. there's kind of a a coach's version, and then there's like a player's version. And for parents, they want to make sure that their kid is learning how to move their body the right way to hit for power, you know? And so that's, I use it as an example. Obviously, I'm passionate about it because I love baseball, and this has turned into a nice business for us. But I think it's also just like, I love the idea of like, this is pretty niche, you know? Yeah. You know, well, what is the problem? I mean, gosh, some of the story brand stuff, I think it was early on. It maybe even been kind of like in the very early stages of the website. It was just like, hey, clarifying this message is really, really, really important. Yeah. Which is interesting because we had to agitate that pain because most people, I go to most websites, I look at most marketing. I probably see 25 pieces of marketing every day because I'm addicted to finding bad marketing that I just think that's a waste of money. But that person has no idea their message isn't clear. They actually think that thing is clear. So one of the challenges we realized was you got to agitate this pain. You actually have to tell people they're in pain because they don't know it. This is costing them enormous amounts of money, and it's embarrassing them in the marketplace, and it's confusing their customers, and their competition is beating them because their stuff isn't clear. And that was a challenge. We found that after the book came out, and it was about 100, well, probably close to 200,000 books in the market now, it changed from clarify your message to know that you're doing it right. And so they read this book and they go, okay, am I doing this right? And then we started selling, well, we can give you the confidence to know that you're doing it right. Come see us at a workshop. And we saw about a 100% increase in workshop registrations when we switched that. And I say that for a couple of reasons. One, if you want to know you're doing it right, come to our workshop. Second is you've got to keep playing with this. You've got to find out what pain point your product actually resolves. And then once you find that, you hit on it, hit on it, hit it. Because there's really two disciplines. One is the creative discipline of figuring out what your customers want. And the second is executing on that message over and over in every single place that you can. I just find it absolutely fascinating. And neither are difficult exercises. They just take some discipline. What I love about you is you're selling global brands, but then you have this small business like most of our listeners that you're trying to blow up too. I think you have an unfair advantage in that realm because you know what you're doing. But it's the same for you to realize to your coaches that you're saying, we're not actually selling hitting instruction, we're selling confidence, that you can be the coach that really sets somebody up to win. If you think about it, messaging is actually the cheapest thing to change. (laughs) It's free. Words are free. We say it all the time. Words are free, and they're the most powerful thing you can manipulate. Words. And so there's all sorts of ways that you can test out different messages. But I love the idea where you're talking about, hey, don't just make your message clear make a message that connects. Obviously, it's got to be clear to connect. And that's the opportunity. It's one of the things I love about marketing. And I think it's one of the things I really love about small business is in a way, advertising like with huge big brands, I mean, you basically get a thumbs up from your client that says, hey, it's going really well. (laughs) And that's essentially your feedback. Or, you know, people like it or you just that type of thing. But what I love about small business, you get into some of these tools that, you know, you can track like, hey, 500 more people watch this video than this video. So let's start running the one that more people That watch. or revenue in November was up 70%. I mean, I love small business for that reason. You can instant feedback. I've heard from thousands now after they clarify their message that revenue is up 25, 35, 45, sometimes 2,000%. You know, you can measure that stuff. Here's what I'm taking away from our conversation, because it wasn't just enjoyable, it was actually practical, Aaron, thanks. I'm taking away, we can't just be clear, we've got to connect. It's clarity and connection that we're looking for when we're defining what our customer wants. It's got to connect with them. And it's not super hard to do this. You can literally just go to a Starbucks if you're willing to embarrass yourself a little bit and walk around and say, hey, can I have one minute of your time? I have a hitting baseball program I'm positioning it this way. Does that sound interesting to you? You'll get real-time feedback right there. Yeah. And you'll find a message where people just go, oh, that's it. That's it. It's fascinating to me. Aaron, thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, thank you so much, Don. Appreciate it. Aaron's fascinating. Love him. Yeah. I love his work. When I lived in Portland, we would go to this taco shop and get uh-huh. lunch maybe once every three or four months. Uh-huh. It was the highlight of that quarter for mm. me because he was always working on stuff that was so brilliant. I remember yeah. one time he came up to the house and he was trying to create this thing for Wyden and Kennedy that was like, 
you know, I'm just thinking of this guy. We're trying to sell beer here. And I'm thinking of this guy, and he has like this folksy kind of wisdom, like blah, blah, blah. And then like months later, I see the, the most interesting man yeah. in the world. And I, I actually don't know. <laughs> if that was from yeah, him Yeah, because all but... that stuff is so hodgepodge. Yeah, like it's, yeah. it's 50 people in a room throwing yeah. around ideas. Yeah. But I just remember, and then seeing it, and it's like, Aaron? Yeah. Did you, <laughs> did you do that? Um, just a fascinating guy. But as you listen to that interview, you could hear nostalgia. Yeah. Save money, make money, get confidence. Yep. Another thing I love about Aaron is he's brilliant like that, but he's also got this small business, like every yeah. one of our listeners. He's yep. trying to grow it. And his baseball hitting coach thing is pretty incredible. But he sells confidence to coaches, not yeah. hitting instructions. Yep. I mean, he sells confidence through hitting instructions, yes. I should say. Yeah. Okay, we promised you that there was one practical thing that you could do based on everything we just talked about that will grow your business. And here it is. Yeah. We're going to do this at the end of every episode for the first seven episodes of 2019. I'm going to give you one thing to do. Yep. One practical thing to do. And here it is. I want you to spell out a clear offer at the top of your website. Yeah. So we will help you clarify your message and grow your business. That is a clear offer. A lot of people, you have stuff like trust is the commodity we exchange. Mm -hmm. I don't know what that means. Yeah. It's so incredibly elusive. Yeah. You've got to make it crystal clear yep. what you offer. And if that's not at the top of your website, you're yep. losing money. Yeah. I just worked with an events coordinator who really mostly works with wedding. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I can't remember what she said, but it just said special moments should be beautiful. Yeah. I get it, yeah. right? But the reason I get it is because I know you do weddings. Yeah. But what if it said your wedding can be beautiful or yes. your wedding will be beautiful? Yep. Well, that's clear. Yeah. And more and more as people encounter thousands of commercial messages a day, cute and clever don't stand out anymore. Yeah. You can be cute or clever, but clarity first. Clarity first. Cute After and you're clear, second. get yep. cute and clever. Yeah. I was working with somebody recently who they were so excited because they came to me and said, hey, we listened to the podcast. We decided to get really clear with our content and then said, here's what our header says. We help you get ahead. <laughs> I kind yeah. of knew what he did, but I said, okay, you're an Olympic coach. Yeah. Or you teach people to drive race cars. Yeah. Or you're exactly. an executive coach. And it was like, no, or no, you're no, a financial we actually, planner. We do consulting with leaders in large companies. Yeah. And I was like, no, I promise you, if you this said the, that. This is, what, <laughs> this is what's interesting is that people will go through the framework and they'll do what we tell them to do and they think they're doing it right. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the reasons that even though we give away all of this all the time, yeah. Our workshops are exploding. We've had a 100% increase in the people who attend our workshops because they want to know they're doing it right. They yep. want somebody to say, that's it. Yep. And that's an example of somebody who would not have come to the workshop, would have yeah. changed it, and it wouldn't have gotten the... It, actually, I think that probably would have gotten an uptick in results. Yeah, they would have thought, well, say, you know, it kind of worked for us. It didn't work because you didn't do it. Yeah, I would say it was more clear than what they had before. That's right. So even just little things like what but we're talking about here, you're, little changes will start to make a difference. But taking it to that full level, if I ever have to ask you, what does that mean? When you tell you're, me what you do, then you've lost. That's a great point, JJ. If I have to say, well, tell me more, what does that mean? You failed. Yeah. I shouldn't have any questions. Yep. And the scientific reason is, if I have questions about what you're talking about, my brain is forced to burn more calories trying to process the information, which sets off a chain reaction of events that will eventually shut my brain down because I can't figure out how you're helping me survive. Yep. When you confuse, you lose. It's yep. not just a mantra that we use yep. around story brand. It's a neuroscience fact. Well, and going back to the narrative transportation theory from the very beginning, yeah. if you tell a story that I cannot transport into, I cannot see myself in, like, so you've not made it clear enough that this story is about me and what you can do to help me move forward in my story. I will not engage with that story because nope. I can't transport into it. Nope. So when you say something like, you know, trust is the commodity we exchange, I cannot see myself in that story. Therefore, I will not transport into that story. Therefore, it will not impact my values, beliefs and actions. Here's so a couple tests, a couple tests that you can do that listeners can do. Next time you're at a coffee shop, I know it might be a little embarrassing, but somebody's sitting next to you, you don't know them, just say, hey, I don't want to take too much of your time, but I have a favor to ask. I've created a new website for my company, or I'm looking, analyzing the website for my company. Can I just show you the header of the website and then ask you a question? And they'll say, sure, you know, yeah. and they'll read it, give them about eight seconds, close it and say, what do we do? What does my company offer you? And if they say, you know, I'm not sure, change it. Yep. That is costing you so much money. Yep. It is costing you so much money. Here's the beautiful thing. Words are free. You just have to get them right. Yeah. And again, if you don't know if you're doing it right, come see us and you can ensure that you're doing it right and you have a lot more confidence. But here's the thing you got to do again. 
Make a clear offer at the top of your website. That's the one thing. There's yep. 50 million things you do, but this is one thing you can do that will get a result. Make sure there is a clear offer that's spelled out incredibly clearly at the top of your website. You may not know whether it's clear. Yeah. You're so close to it. So yeah. you got to get feedback. Yep. You just got to get feedback. Here's test number two. Test number one is talk to somebody at a Starbucks. Test number two, you can do this in your own brain. Would this make a good movie pitch? So if I said to JJ, JJ, we got to go see this movie. It just came out. It's going to be so good. It's about trust is the commodity we exchange. <laughs> You're not going. Yeah. 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 <laughs> no, it's got to be about Liam Neeson's daughter got kidnapped again. Yeah. Oh, I'm in. Yeah. Right. I know what that's yeah. about. He's going to save his daughter. Exactly. So, you know, it's easy to tell if somebody else is clear. It's hard to tell if you are clear. Yes. And that's why StoryBrand will never go out of business because you'll come see us and we'll go, that ain't clear, baby. Yeah, yeah, You've yeah. You've got to change that. Yeah. And so that's the one thing that you can do next week, JJ. The next mm -hmm. thing that happens in a story is the problem. Yes. And the problem opens a story loop in the customer's brain that they are dying to close it. Yeah. Right? They're dying to close it. And here's what I'm going to do next week. I'm going to teach you the three secrets of opening a story loop. And if you don't do this, you're going to go out of business at yeah. some point. Yeah. You've got to do these three things. Now, I'm not going to tell you what they are now. I'm going to tell you next <laughs> yes. week because I just opened a story loop in your brain. <laughs> just, I just inceptioned you. Inceptioned <laughs> just you. Inceptioned you. <laughs> I'm a story within a story. Next week, though, I'm, I'm serious. Each one of these first seven weeks, you know, what we wanted to do is our gift to you for, as a New Year's gift at StoryBrand is make you a lot of money. I just yeah. wanted to do that. And I know what you do with the money. You buy health care insurance for your employees. You give people raises. You go on longer vacations. You spend more time with your kids. I know what you do with that money. So I'm yeah. not. I'm not just saying let's all be consumeristic. Yeah. You do beautiful things with that money. We want to make you money in the first seven weeks of this year if you yeah. just do what we say. First one, make a clear offer. Spell out a clear offer on top of your website. Next week, open three levels of story loops. How do you do it? You got to pay attention. Dun, dun, dun. JJ, I'm excited about the year. So fun. We're going to help so many thousands of companies this year. It's exciting. Music from this episode is by Andrew Bell. You can listen to Andrew's EP, Dive Deep, Hushed, on Spotify or on iTunes. Thanks, as always, for listening to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business. <laughs> 